Welcome to season two of the Love Good Podcast, where you learn how to love what is good so you can become what you love and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons, a community of intentional consumers who curate music and books based on the transcendentals of beauty, truth, and goodness. Join us each week as we sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about media, culture, and what it means to be human. We're so happy you're here. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. Thank you so much for tuning in to Season 2, Episode 10. As I do every other week, I'll be sitting down in just a few moments with Alana Boudreau talking about, today, institutions and whether or not they can be trusted. And that really cuts across the board from religious or political institutions all the way down to the institution of family. You know, to live on planet Earth, to live in the midst of history as it unfolds means to engage with institutions. And what does it really look like, you know, to engage well, if we're in charge of them, to build that culture of trust and transparency, but especially when they have failed us, how do we continue to love and support them, to renew and purify them? I think this is a great conversation to have right now in the midst of a lot of scandals that we see unfolding across governments in the world today, but even across the church. So what does it look like to engage and ultimately transform institutions from the inside out. In the same way that our music, books, and art that we're constantly promoting helps us have these kinds of conversations, I hope the podcast for you today does the same. You guys are amazing. As always, thanks for tuning in. Again, I'll be back in just a few moments with Alana Boudreaux. every destination is between somewhere and somewhere else in this great nation, and it's your world. It's a good thing for a traveler A good thing for a traveler Like cash in the bank Or a full tank Sometimes I get caught up Where I never meant to be It's the curse of being free The curse of being free but baby, it's a good day for the travelers and the sinners, all the would-be winners, the everyday begin again. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, sitting down with my trusted co-host, Alana Boutreau. Hi, Jimmy. Yeah. How Hi. are you? Yeah, doing Really good. I'm on my second, well, actually third cup of coffee today. Yeah, I am um, too, actually. I don't know if it's advisable, but... Yeah, what kind of, what do you got there? Is cream and sugar or some special cream? With... It's actually just whole milk. I couldn't find any cream. Oh. I, I would do cream if I could. Now, there was a point earlier where a few podcasts ago, you mentioned how the coffee at Love Good is so good that you don't like to put cream in it. And I can understand that. But at the same time, sometimes I feel like there is... Because we're talking about acquiring taste, yep. right? And sometimes, sometimes I feel like it's okay if you like your coffee with cream. It's not the end of the world, you know. That did come out of the Keurig, though. It did, and it doesn't taste as good as the stuff Boom. I had before earlier. Boom. So, you know, my taste is developing. That's Have, the, that's a sign. When did you like first love coffee? Was this from a young age? I know some like twelve year olds who um, are already hooked. I think I I drank it each morning probably by the time I was sixteen. Oh, How wow. about you? Yeah, no, I was probably 19, and my idea of a cup of coffee was a, 
a mocha frappuccino from Starbucks. Oh, that'll rot the teeth out of your head. A yeah. Of, a lot of sugar in there. Yeah. We're yeah. anti-sugar around here. That's for sure. I, you know, I was thinking though, we were, you know, you were kind of bashing on carbs. And I was thinking <laughs> beer has carbs in it. The only worthwhile carb. Yeah. The kind that comes with a good beer. I have to admit the first time I had an IPA, it tasted like like sucking on a penny or something to me. It oh. had that weird copper that's flavor. disgusting. Dude, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> but I've never tasted that apart from when I well, was maybe a kid. Just so everybody knows, I don't go around sucking on loose change. <laughs> it's not like this weird habit. But I did, I have come oh. to really enjoy it. Like I had this, it was like a grapefruit IPA that I had oh, at a festival, yeah. like from the tap, and yeah. it was so refreshing. But generally, the right time. Summer is, yeah. yeah. I like a bourbon though better, like just straight mm. is, is my favorite because you can really take your time. On the rocks, neat. How you doing? I like it neat. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. The hidden life or the not so hidden life now. Yeah. yeah. I like scotch. Yeah. Yeah. I think bourbon's just got a mm. little too much. Is there sugar sometimes? I feel like they mix it, can, it more often. It can be on the sweeter side. Yeah. I don't like sweet things either, actually. So um, it depends on the bourbon then, huh? Yeah. I had this peaty scotch once. It, it, whatever peat is. It's, don't it was know. from Scotland and mm. I don't know, is peat something that you find in a bog? What is a bog? You know, you've heard These of These are questions bogs. that I've never really <laughs> dug into. It was so bad. It, it, I mean, and this is me, probably some people out there are going to be cringing in their seats, people who have more developed palates. But to me, it, it just tasted like liquid smoke. Oh. Like it had a very... That's bad. Bitey, smoky, to the point that it just felt like my face was collapsing. Like I couldn't really, <laughs> I couldn't really enjoy it. You know, <laughs> whatever that even means. Oh, but, I just, I think I'm stuck on your face collapsing right now. Like, what does that even mean? But I, I know exactly the, the what it means. sands of time. Yeah. That all of our faces collapse in time. Wow, this is getting really uh, grim. So anyway, but so we are sitting good. here enjoying our coffee. I'm drinking out of a mug that. Used to belong to Alan Parker, I hear. Alan, Alan Parker is this incredible producer. He actually produced my album, Champion. Amazing person to That's work right. with. And this mug is from SeaWorld, everybody. And it's just festooned with really happy creatures. says <laughs> whatever this is, a killer whale, porpoise, a seal with a sailor outfit on it, an otter. <laughs> while we're smoking a cigar <laughs> I want to be part of this, this collection. So, and but, I, but I missing chose, is the whale. Whale. Um, oh, just the reg- oh, that's regular old blue whale. Is that a whale? That's yeah. a whale. Never mind. This one? Yeah. Killer whale. That's a killer. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. They are missing some <laughs> some important people. So, Do you have a favorite sea mammal? Yeah. Sea mammal? Sea. I don't, is that what they're called? You sea. mean like among like whales and... I guess when I say sea mammal, I don't actually know what I mean, but it sounds smart. And Probably. I think what I mean is like, yeah, dolphins, whales, sharks. Sea lions? Oh, that's an option. That's a mammal. Right? Is that your favorite? I think I like them the best. Penguins, do they count? Speaking of them, <laughs> I just overheard somebody saying that Benedict Cumberbatch can't pronounce the word penguin. Oh, a little bit like I can't pronounce the word physician and you can't pronounce that word that no one's ever heard of. Interstices. <laughs> right. But I think it was unfair. They're not giving a fair shake. It was these two fellas that were talking about Benedict Cumberbatch and he's British. Yeah. And they were saying, well, he was doing some special for National Geographic and he kept saying... Penguin or pen penguin? Poor guy. 
But maybe that's just the way he articulates it, you know, it's yeah. from, from the UK. So it's Well, yeah, we have a lot of UK listeners, so we can get some on-the-ground knowledge about this. <laughs> about that and about who, if we landed on the moon. You know what we actually should do? Uh, could somebody please email content at lovegoodculture.com with a voice memo of, of you saying an answer to that question of, what's this guy's name, Franklin? Franklin. Benedict. Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, I, I mean, like from Sherlock. Is. You know him, the actor. The actor. I, yeah. No, a lot of women go crazy over him. Okay. I, I mean, that doesn't pertain at all to you, but maybe you've heard overheard women saying like, yeah. just how much how dreamy he is. I mean, they could I, email it to us, but I think we want to hear it in a voice memo in a British accent. Is this indeed a British way of saying penguin, or is this yeah. Benedict's way of saying penguin? We are definitely looking forward to an answer to that great riddle about how to pronounce the word penguin. But thinking about the British, talking about them many of whom are dear, dear friends, it definitely like harkens a, a little bit of a thought process around institutions, right? That's what we want to talk about today. Can institutions be trusted? Well, America, yeah, we're full of institutions, but they're all pretty young, mm-hmm. you know? And I think in some ways it feels like they're ever-changing or at least moldable, you know? It's interesting. I'm, I'm a Catholic living in America, so I, I have some sense of an institution that is eight times older than our constitution, and that's and that's the church. Mm-hmm. But we kind of buck up against this idea of institution all the time. I certainly do. I don't know if it's an age thing, a generation thing, an artist thing. I, I just have sometimes a very hard time knowing whether or not I can trust an institution or trust institutional people or realities, right? I've probably gotten into more trouble in my adult life than I ever did in childhood or adolescence. And I think somewhere along the way, you know, probably early 20s, I just became a bit more outside the box. Mm -hmm. And uh, what that means is like mostly I didn't fit other people's boxes. I definitely didn't fit institutional boxes. Definitely experienced this in my time at Vanderbilt, which is an institution. My time, you know, kind of like navigating the church in my 20s, which is an institution. I navigated that actually three years ago when I ran for public office in Nashville. I ran for Metro Council and there was all these kind of institutional realities that you know, if you didn't understand and, and know how to traverse, you were probably going to get stuck along the way or at least really pissed off and annoyed, mm-hmm. you know? Right. I'm curious, like, is that is that just me over here whining about institutions, institutions that I oftentimes love, like the city of Nashville or like my faith in the church that right. defends that faith? Like, I, I love them, but especially in these times, I can't help but feel a bit not well taken care of by institutions or I can't help but... There's like a lack of personalism or a lack of something there, you know? Right. Yeah. No, I don't think it's just you. I feel like that's probably something very common for most of us, to be honest, you know? And and I would imagine each of, each of us has a different angle on, I don't know, the root of why an institution or the body politic bothers us. You know what I mean? I guess maybe from my perspective, I mean, I think I've always struggled a little bit with like authority or being told Mm. what to do. I think maybe in part because I do feel like it doesn't give enough credit to my own ability to, I guess, to have agency. Like my own agency Mm. is very important to me, the power of choice. And I think that is something ennobling for the human person. And I think it can easily run awry, you know, like to think we have infinite variety Mm. of options because, you know, I think we have to be prudent enough to recognize like, Left to our own devices, I think many of us would 
end up making some fairly destructive decisions mm, that mm. wouldn't be for the common good. Mm. So an institution is very helpful as far as yeah. maintaining the status quo such that there actually ends up being more freedom for everybody involved. But but they also can get very sick, like yeah. deeply, deeply sick. And I'm not really sure what the origin of that sickness is other than, well, human condition, power struggle, like the wrong people being in positions of leadership, nepotism. Yeah. You know, like I wonder at all these things as well. And it is an uncomfortable place to be because I think for me and maybe for many, maybe for you, the most uncomfortable aspect is a sense of like betrayal. Like you feel it mm. in your gut when yeah. an institution that you have predicated your life and identity on does something really harmful yeah. or, you know, it isn't what it makes itself to be. And I don't know how deep that is in the human psychology of why that's a betrayal. I don't know if it's because, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure where that comes from or where it goes or how it's resolved or if it's yeah. just sort of a constant thing, like a, a, a cyclical thing that happens where, uh, you know, things kind of get raised to the ground and then reassessed and reestablished or whatever. But That's right. So there's good and bad, I guess, mm. um, invariably with an institution. You know? and, and it's interesting. I mean, we're living in a really trying time where you don't even have to be Catholic to have felt betrayed mm -hmm. by the last several months of news and scandals that are breaking, you know, about Catholic cardinals and bishops and, and priests in this country. So it's a very difficult time, regardless of who you are. You know, I think there's a certain comfort or a certain feeling of, of protection that we have in the context of any large institution, you mm -hmm. know, like mm -hmm. there's a certain safety in being an American. Yeah. There's a certain mm -hmm. safety in belonging to a church. There's a certain safety in belonging to smaller institutions like a neighborhood or a school, you know. These are places where we make, you know, genuine human contact and connection that is so much a part of of life. It's interesting because, you know, I I really even just in the context of, of these church scandals that are breaking seemingly left and right right yeah. now, yeah. I, I have to say I still have this like really stubborn love for the church. I would say I, I have a very stubborn love for the Constitution of the United States of America. Like I think there's something in me mm -hmm. that wants to fight through the chaos and fight through the scandal. And I think there's like a lot of intuition around this, but there's also – like uh, people who have thought about this far more clearly than I have, who help, who have helped me understand why I love institutions. So, for example, G.K. Chesterton, he always used to describe like a fence uh, around a playground and what that does to give real freedom and joy and abandonment to to kids as they're running around at recess, mm -hmm. and how in fact if there wasn't that fence, kids don't feel free to roam or to wander mm -hmm. and to, to just be kind of crazy. And there's a lot of interesting, more modern studies around this, that a fence actually is the very thing that allows a kid to have the most fun at recess because right. they feel safe, right. you know? Yeah. And you could, you know, probably take this and, and apply it to the artist who, if they don't accept the, the confines of a canvas and they just start throwing paint you know, in every which direction, they'll never actually make something beautiful, you know? Well, I mean, that's debatable. Some people mm. would say, if you look at modern art and Impressionism, mm. that its value lies just in that it is. Right. You know, even if it is this random chaotic assortment of just slashes and stripes and things. And that's like a whole other conversation. But yeah. 
I do, I, I love what you're saying about Chesterton because I read a, a line from him once where he said that art, like morality, consists in drawing a line somewhere. Yeah. So there is always this, yeah, there's a starting point where you do have to, to like d- d- delineate That's it. in order to make sense of something. Like even with language, the way we speak, every one of us on a given day, we use the rules of syntax to make order out <laughs> of the chaotic thoughts that we have. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and So we we bend to these rules that we've been taught and they help us. Mm. They help us to communicate with other people and they help us to flourish. But <laughs> the analogy of like the the playground, I like that. But when something like this happens in the church, it's almost like you've suddenly realized, wait, so there were actually like cameras monitoring us this whole time. Have we, have we been like playing and running in this enclosure? Mm. What I'm saying is like it turns it on its head and it yeah. makes you feel like the whole thing was not what you thought it was all yeah. your life. It's So you feel like, wait, we've just been micromanaged and scrutinized. And like this is not an airtight analogy with what's happening in the church. What I'm saying is I'm just trying to convey the sense of disillusionment when right. what you thought was there is not as you thought it was. And there are yeah. elements that are beyond human failure and I yeah. guess just like tragedy that are constant and true and good that, you know, like that's, I believe that. But I I think I tend more toward a melancholy kind of just like uh, skepticism at times mm. with this sort of thing. And that I think in part comes from just like, I can easily get a chip on my shoulder with these sorts of things, partly because I just, trusting is a little tricky for me. Yeah. And so this is the sort of thing that I'm like, oh man, like I'm just going to dismantle this whole thing. And, and is this good? Is this valuable? Will this help? Has it helped more people or harmed more people? So I am asking those questions, like mm. those hard questions and also trying to be like brutally honest. But again, like I, I was saying to you earlier, a friend of mine once said that any God worth his salt can handle those questions and can handle your doubts. You That's know what right. I mean? And and I find comfort in that because this is not, there's like no easy silver lining to this. You know what I mean? Like it's just like you can't read a positive spin on this kind of abuse, you know, it's right. just, which which is painful because mm. as humans, you, you, you just feel this compulsion. Like I just want to say something that's helpful or constructive, but it's kind of, I think right now we just are sitting in the, ashes of it and sort of at least for me just feeling a bit obliterated and like what yeah (laughs) you know and again we've had this conversation it's not it's actually good to sit in the ashes sometimes Mm -hmm. you know it it, it is good to grieve yeah it's more honest yeah it is way more honest and i think the reality is i'm just quick to want to bounce back in as a hopeful romantic as a hopeful warrior Mm -hmm. and make a change and like Mm -hmm. make a difference like i hope if nothing else when we see abuse when we see scandal when we see institutions not being what they propose themselves to be that there's something in us that doesn't want to run but rather wants to enter in and be a part of the reformation or the revolution or the very real like purification that we're seeing Mm -hmm. even right now in the church in america well the question i have for you is what is it that you think at the heart, like, and and I, I mean, at the heart, but also in very concrete terms, what is it that you think leads an institution to become really diseased? Ooh, like, yeah. what is that? Like, yeah. whether it's a religious one or, yeah. I mean, because we could discuss this from a, a lot of different angles. You could Absolutely. make it theological, you could make it psychological, political, anthropological. But I mean, yeah, what what comes to mind 
The first thing is lack of transparency. I mean, I think this is sort of like the the, the disease of, of any human soul. Like yeah. as soon as we're yeah. living in a fantasy, as soon as we're like living a double life or a hidden life. Getting cocooned like cocooned, we were saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just think transparency, like truth is tr- like it's actually liberating. It actually feels amazing. And for me, the, the truth of, of the matter is that I'm like actually really messed up. Mm-hmm. I say this to my mom every now and then. And she never quite knows what I mean because she's my mom and she sees mm-hmm. like only the good. Mm-hmm. Praise God, you know, <laughs> like she only right. sees the good. But the reality is like I see all the light. I see all the shadows. Like yeah. I'm aware of yeah. all the capacity for goodness and triumph and I'm just way too aware of the inclination towards of evil and, and the effect that tragedy has on me. So mm-hmm. I think this is a, a, a time for me to to just humble myself. I think that's the reality as much as I buck up against institutions naturally because I, I kind of like to be a rebel. I kind of like to question authority. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I really think there's an opportunity to, to be humbled mm-hmm. and, and actually – as you said, maybe to just sit in the ashes for a bit here and, and grieve and, yeah. and then and then to fight, yeah. to fight for the abused, to fight for those who have been stolen from, slaughtered, right. stealed right. from, you know, yeah. like in, in really horrible, yeah, horrible, horrible ways. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's not something we have an answer for today, but I think it's good to wrestle with this question is can institutions be trusted? Mm-hmm. And this it hits on so many different levels, I think. Yeah, I think. And it's true. It's, I mean, I really appreciate hearing you say that because it does challenge me a little bit where I think I tend to whenever something makes me nervous or upset, I, I think I overcompensate for the sadness I feel by trying to get hyper rational about it. Mm. And so... I think sometimes, though, my rationalism, I call it being a realist, but it's sometimes more like being a cynic. And I think cynicism hides a broken heart in mm. me and maybe in, yeah. in many people. It feels strong and it feels practical. But I think underneath it is just like crippling disappointment. Yeah, You know what I mean? And I, I, I thank God I see that in myself and I recognize it as sometimes a mechanism that's not super helpful. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, I think... It's everyone is complicated. And when you talk about institutions, whether it's a family or a church or a government or whatever, I think there are times where the healthiest thing for an individual to do is to step away and have boundaries so that they can heal and reassess, figure out. Like, I think that that's it would be naive and almost like just tone deaf to not acknowledge that that Mm. is part of a healing process for some people, you know, And, and it's just part of our makeup is. As individuals, if you've been traumatized and abused, like you got to step away, you know, and and think about it. And that's okay, you know. There's there's no fault there. But I do appreciate what you said about like just having a sense of loyalty there too. Like some, mm. like you, you, you're saying that that's what you feel is just almost a resurgence, a reconviction that I'm going to hang in here and seek what's good and acknowledge that I am broken and human as well. Yeah. So I really appreciate that because. I mean, I, I, I was, I feel like we learn from each other in our conversations and that's something I admire in you mm. is, is your buoyant optimism. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. Being able to see the good, that's something I need to lean into because it is, it's easier for me to just kind of be like, ah, well, human nature, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to step yeah. away. You yeah. know what I mean? So that's, that's just a good reminder. Or to hang tight and wait for the good to come, to hope that it will come. Yeah. I, I put everything on hope some, some days, you know. Right, right. Well, yeah, yeah. this is awesome. As always. 
<laughs> Joy Elena Boudreaux, I think we could probably go on for quite some time, but I think it's good to ask the question and good to wrestle, good to think, okay, uh, am I going to get in and fight and bring about change when I see institutions falling apart around me? Do I need to step away and be healed? Yeah, I think this is uh, something that everyone is sort of thinking about right now specifically. So uh, thanks yeah. for helping continue the conversation. And, right. um, and, and just a reminder, we do want it to be a conversation. So mm-hmm. wherever you're at, on this thing, like just please don't, don't isolate. Yep, um, yep. Talk it over with anybody. Like email me. Like I have really. There's no judgment. Whatever your opinion is, if you just need to share and and think aloud, we want to hear from you because we do believe all of you have good good hearts, good intentions. We're all seeking, and we can learn from one another. So, hmm. you know, it's good stuff. It's awesome, Alana. See you in a couple more weeks from today. Bye. There are calluses and scratches forming on your bare feet. You've been walking in the evening through the golden fields of wheat. Well, the rain is coming down, but you don't rush to get inside. Young men with a clear, clear eyes. Young men with a clear, clear eyes. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast this week. What a really cool and I would say challenging conversation that's just unfolded, really about the role that institutions play in the life of culture at large and really asking ourselves that question, how do we engage and transform those institutions so that we can really continue building a better culture? Such an important conversation that I hope you continue to have amongst family and friends in the weeks and months ahead. Really excited to announce that our second video in this unfolding series has officially released on YouTube and Facebook. So last week, it was a video of me talking about really this beautiful history, five, six years now of Love Good going from, you know, a 45 City House concert tour to a global movement. And the next video in the series begins really talking about the role that media plays in the building of a better culture. So if you've ever really wanted to better understand what Love Good is all about, or just share with your family and friends what Love Good is all about, make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel, as well as our Facebook page so you're not missing all these beautiful new videos as they release. We love you guys. Hope you're having a wonderful Thanksgiving for all of you in America. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. Eat lots of turkey. Play some football in the cold. Really enjoy your family. And uh, we'll see you next week. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to Season 2 of the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media and be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. You can join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at lovegoodculture.com. Start enjoying our seasonal packages that will raise your standard for media and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.